to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. It's good to be with you. My name is Nathan Neighbor. I'm our lead pastor. Excited to be with you today. We are in the middle of a conversation called Things You Don't Talk About at the Kitchen Table. And you know all those things that you're just not supposed to talk about, um, that when they come up, it's not polite to talk about them or it's awkward to talk about them. Uh, and here's the thing. We just decided that for a few weeks, we'd talk about them. Because here's the thing. If, if we don't talk about them, someone's going to talk about them. And so I figured if someone's going to talk about them, it might as well be us. And I find that Jesus actually has a lot to say about the things that we don't want to talk about. Because there's usually a reason why we don't want to talk about them and because they usually speak to a core part of us that we just don't want to look at or that builds contention or division or strife that we feel like is insurmountable. Like if we go there, how many of you recognize like in these conversations you think if we go there, this is gonna get messy and I don't know if we're gonna be able to recover from the messiness. So I'd rather just not talk about it than address it. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus was just like, ah, we're gonna have all the conversations about everything and let the cards fall where they may and invite people into a space of wholeness in life. And that is our intention for these conversations is to not invite you into a space of shame or condemnation, but to invite you into a space of, of life. And the last couple of weeks we've been talking about money, which has been a hot button issue. Juan did an amazing job last week talking about debt. Um, yeah, I was backstage like, pull the plane up, Juan. We need some hope here. And he did. He did beautifully. <laughs> I felt the room getting very tense. <laughs> and he did a beautiful job of bringing us into some hope there. Today, we're starting a brand new hot button issue. And if there was a hot button issue that you could pick, this would be it. And it's sex. Sex and sexuality. So when you take this topic and you have a conversation about it, that alone is enough to all, like, bring up all kinds of conversations, red flags, frustrations. But then when you throw into that God, the scriptures, a relationship with God, a long church history uh, that is in contention with this issue, gasoline meet fire. <laughs> And so this is a conversation that I know is probably the issue to talk about, and it's the issue that no one really wants to talk about. I um, built a pond in my backyard last summer, and I built ponds before that uh, for our family, for other people. And one of the important things about building a pond is thinking through the filtration system. And how the filtration system in a pond works is that you have levels of filtration as the water passes through. And it starts with large filtration, like chicken wire, so that rocks and giant leaves don't get into the pump. And then it goes into smaller mesh filters, and then it finally gets into a very fine filter that filters out all the gunk and stuff in the water. And it was, it's designed to let things through little by little so the water can actually eventually get to the pond, to the pump needed to get the waterfall going, keep the water moving, all that stuff. Here's what I found in this conversation, that our culture's listening filters around this issue are very closed. 
And we have very, very little room for nuance around this conversation. We have very little room to talk about differentiators and what may be or may not be. We hear things and very little actually gets through on all sides of the conversation. People have very closed thoughts when it comes to this. And here's what happens is usually someone makes a statement and then they immediately go, oh, you're like this. And then they have a whole list of what you believe and don't believe and what's possible. Or you believe this, and that means all of these things over here. And what that does is it leaves very little room for nuance or curiosity when it comes to sex or sexuality. But it also creates camps that become pitted against each other rather than opportunity for conversation and collaboration and nuanced conversation. And so look, I'm fully aware that um, one of the best possible outcomes for this conversation is that everyone walks away really pissed off. (laughs) And I'm up for that, that's okay, right? (laughs) And I'm believing for something else over the next three weeks. And so when you find yourself there in that space, if you find yourself nervous or anxious or wanting to put me in a camp or God in a camp or others in a camp, I'm just gonna ask you to, to open up your listening filters in this space. I think one of the reasons why our filters are so closed down around this conversation is because the church has done a massive disservice to this conversation. That especially the church in America was founded on these puritanical ideas. And while it was uh, well-intentioned at times, I grew up in this era where the purity movement was at its height. And so we had things like purity rings and purity pledges, and I would be in youth group where they would do illustrations where they'd take a blue paper and a red paper and they'd glue it together and they'd rip it apart and they'd say, this is what happens when you have sex and then break up, and they'd show the messy paper and all the guys around us would be like, you that messy paper over there, right? And so, so, so there was all kinds of shame heaped on to these conversations and it was intimately connected to an identity conversation and While there may have been some good intentions around helping people live a life of wholeness and finding a life of freedom, it actually created a lot of breakdown and insecurity and anger and frustration as to standards that people could not meet. And then all kinds of things like eternity were threatened over this conversation. So that's, that's one area where this conversation has gone wonky, but the church has also done a massive disservice to our LGBTQIA brothers and sisters. That it is, it has created a massive chasm between two camps that I don't know if they need to be two camps in the world around us. See, it's, it's one thing to have different beliefs about how sexuality and sex should be carried out. It's another thing to throw out your love for your neighbor in that disagreement. And I think that the church has been the first to do that. And then there's been retaliation that's understandable. And so here's the thing disagreement around theology has turned into justified hate. And those are not the same thing in this conversation. So I just wanna publicly say that if you are a sexual minority and you are still in the church or even interested in being a part of a community, I have the utmost respect for you regardless of what you believe. Because people leave churches over the color of the carpet. And I know that some of you who have struggled with your sexuality, struggled with coming out, struggled with what do I do with this in light of what the scriptures say and what God says and then what's culturally heaped onto all that and have decided to stay, that's courage and that's commitment and that's faithfulness. 
And I just want to say, look, if you disagree with anything that's said over the next three weeks, uh, I want you to know that this place is 100% still home for you and that you have still have a place here. I always want humanity to be a place where people can be in different places in their spiritual journey and still be together and still process through and wrestle through some of these conversations. So look, if you find something that you disagree with, let's, let's chat. Let's not divide ourselves in this space, in this conversation. Last caveat with this is that if you're not a follower of Jesus, none of this actually applies to you. So go do what you wish, right? Some of you are like instant atheists, right? Uh, and there's a big and here. And I actually believe that the wisdom that the scriptures put forth for sexuality is universal. So even if you're like, hey, I don't know where I'm, at with Jesus, uh, I would encourage you to have a conversation in this uh, around uh, what it might look like for you in this space, in this conversation. So today, we're actually going to be setting the stage for further conversations. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of things today. So if you came and you were like, let's get hot and heavy, mine may not be today, all right? That will be coming. We're going to be, a, we're actually just going to do a two-week series on this. We were, we were doing a three-week series, but we realized that Mother's Day is next Sunday, and we did not want to invite all the moms to a conversation around sex. So <laughs> we're going to put a pin on that conversation. Marla's going to be speaking next week. <laughs> to all you moms out there, and then we'll pick it up in two weeks with all the nitty-gritty after that. And so because this conversation is so entangled with so much culture and so much politics, I felt like today we needed to lay a, a, a foundation for where we're headed. So, and here's the thing, there's no way that we're going to be able to cover everything in the next two days. And plus, my aunt and uncle decided to drive in this week, and I did not want to have a nitty-gritty conversation around sex today, so we're just going to do a foundation <laughs> with this. And last caveat, if you have young ears and you're here or if you're at home or if you're listening to this on the podcast, on your drive home from school right now sometime this week, you may just want to be aware of that as we step into this. I want to start in the beginning to lay a foundation for this conversation in Genesis chapter 2 when God creates Adam and puts him in this garden and he looks down at him and says this in Genesis 2, 18. He said, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So man gave names to all the livestock and the birds in the sky and the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So here God puts Adam in this perfect garden that's designed just for him. I mean, the perfect ecosystem for him to thrive. He has all, everything he needs in this lush tropical environment. I like to think it's a little bit like Cancun. And here he is. And on top of that, God is walking with him and talking with him. And you would think this is about all a human being needs right now, right? God and paradise. And for some of us, that sounds amazing. If I could just get there, that would be incredible. And God looks out and he says, hmm, something's missing. It's, this is actually not good yet. Even in this perfect condition that God has created for him, he's like, yeah, this is not good yet. 
And it was in that space where he decides to put another human being on the planet with Adam. See, because I don't like using negatives in this context, but I think using a negative phrase here will be helpful because what God looked out, he realized that, oh, Adam was made for not aloneness. That's what he was made for. He was like, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he said, yeah, Adam is not supposed to live in this space of not aloneness, that we as human beings were not made for this space of not aloneness. And so if I was to flip that, we were actually made for intimacy. That's what we were designed for. That's what we were created for. So when God looked out at the world, he was like, something's missing. What is it? Intimacy. Because here's the thing. If God himself exists in community, which the scriptures say he does, then it would make sense that us who are made in his image would also need community and intimacy and to be known one another by one another. Every single one of us have this drive for not aloneness, for intimacy, for connection. It's a part of the core of what it means to be human being, to know others and to be intimately known by them. It's one of the ways that we were made in the image of God. And, and we, as human beings, whether you're aware of it or not, I can guarantee you, you are on a continual quest for intimacy. You, your soul craves it, it longs for it, it can't get enough of it, it is longing, longing for more. And we are on this journey to fulfill this deep need inside of us that has been there from the very beginning of humanity. So God creates Eve and puts Adam there to fulfill this deep longing. Now, here's the thing. Most pastors, when they talk about this passage, they use it to talk about marriage. Now, that certainly is an correct application at times for this passage. I mean, Jesus in Matthew 19 refers back to this moment to explain what marriage is, its purpose, and its design. We'll talk about that in two weeks. But just because this is the context marriage that God meets the intimacy needs doesn't mean it is the way that intimacy needs are met. See, it would be weird if, like, in Genesis it says, Adam was hungry, so God gave him a mango to eat. We wouldn't create a theology saying the only way to crave your hunger is mangoes. Right? That would be weird. That would be an incorrect assumption about what this was actually talking about. See, because let's just do a check. How many of you have been married, are married? Raise your hand. Like, you can, like, yeah, I have some, I have some understanding of marriage. How many of you, your spouse has, did fulfill 100% of your intimacy needs? No one. Crazy, right? <laughs> I know some of you were like with your spouse, like, is it okay to not raise my hand? <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. Here's, and now, let me ask you this. How many of your spouse or your spouses have do meet some of your intimacy needs? Yeah. Some of you are like, nope. But that's okay. Um, well, we have marriage counseling later for that. But so here's what we do know is that a spouse can meet some intimacy needs, but a spouse cannot meet all your intimacy needs. So that, in other words, marriage is not the end-all, be-all of intimacy and connection with one another. It can meet some. It cannot meet all of them. And so marriages can actually become unhealthy when two individuals say, this is the only person that I need to meet all of my intimacy needs. In fact, that's where a marriage becomes incredibly ingrown and dangerous and unhealthy when someone says, you over there are the sole source of all of my intimacy needs. This is one of the reasons why I believe marriages, 50% of marriages end in divorce because there's something off in our relationship to intimacy. And I'll say this, that even the church has made marriage an idol 
saying that if you're not married, then you're somehow less than or not fulfilled or are not gonna be able to have all your intimacy needs met when that is actually nowhere in the scriptures. It's crazy to me when I was a single man how many well-meaning grandmas in the church were like, we're getting you married as if I was missing something. So, so I even feel a need for those of you who are single in the church, whether by choice or just the season that you're in, I want to say I am sorry for the way that the church has betrayed you, related to you, connected to you. I want to publicly say that you are not lacking anything and that God has not forgotten you or said you don't have some magic experience in this. Because here's the thing, Jesus himself was never married. That's crazy to think about, right? And yet the scriptures say that he experienced the abundance of life, that he went through everything that you could possibly need. So what that lets me know is I actually don't need to be married to experience intimacy, that this was a whole other conversation that Jesus was, that the scriptures are talking about here, that you can be single and live a life of absolute abundance. So when Adam, when Eve was placed with Adam, it wasn't a mandate for everyone to get married so you could have your intimacy needs met. It was a divine declaration that you need people. That's what it was saying in this moment. That, that, that to be involved with your deepest longings for intimacy, you actually need to be connected with other people. So this need for intimacy is connected with both God and other people. That we, what we're actually hungry for is not marriage, it's spiritual family. It's people in our lives who are saying, yes, I am connected to you, with you, know you, intimate with you, so what does this have to do with sex? Hang in there. We're going to get there, all right? In Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 8, uh, Romans 8, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 9. I don't know where I got all those numbers from. Uh, Paul makes this distinction about who we are as human beings, especially those of us who are followers of Jesus. And he says this, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. There's this old Proverbs that says that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Our primary role, who we are at our core, is spiritual beings who inhabit this fleshly body. And the scriptures make this distinction clear here. And it's all throughout the scriptures. This distinction between our flesh and our spirit. And they are two very different things that exist in one little suit over here. So we have these two realities that wrestle within us. We have our spirit and our flesh. I'm going to ask you to consider that your flesh is like who you are as just an animal, like just as a, any other living being on the planet. And here's what your fleshly, animalistic, what we even call our reptilian brains drive is for. Here's what it's designed to do. It's designed to keep you alive and maximize pleasure. That's what it does. In fact, that is the only thing that the flesh is interested in. How do I stay alive and how do I maximize pleasure? You see this all the time if you have an animal, specifically dogs, right? Marla has trained our dogs that every morning when she gets up, they get a bone. I don't know why this is the case. I don't know why they get rewarded for waking up in the morning. 
but they have decided this. And so the second that Marla gets out of the bed, they're like running, panting, <laughs> barking. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. They did nothing to deserve this, but that's okay. Because their flesh, these, these, this, their animalistic nature is just like, I want the bone. Give me the bone, right? Here in this space. And so they find themselves there. Now, now, never ever has my dog thought to themselves, you know what? I'm watching my figure right now. So I don't know if like a milk bone, do you have like an almond milk bone or like an oat milk bone? No, never, right? They're, they're, they're just like, give me this because this is gonna maximize my pleasure in the moment. When, my, when I got my dogs early on, they uh, were abused, which is very sad as puppies. And I imagine someone kicked them as dogs because they're very skittish around people's feet, always have been. And so anytime I get near them and I move my foot fast, my one dog, Selah, yelps in fear, like, Kah! right? And I have to calm her down. And here's the thing. She doesn't know that she's not in danger, but, it, but her, draw, her animalistic drive to stay safe is so strong that anything that appears dangerous, she's like on the lookout for. And so part of our fleshly drive, like what drives all the animals on the planet, is this need for survival and this need to maximize pleasure in some way, shape, or form. Every single one of us have both. This fleshly drive that is just saying, stay alive and maximize pleasure. But then there's this other part of us that's called spirit, that is distinct from flesh. And what the scriptures say here is that the moment that you connect to Jesus, your spirit moves from death to life. And that he replaces your dead spirit with his spirit, and now he lives in you, and you're fully alive in this new context of spirit over here. And so Paul continues with this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters... We have an obligation, but it is not to flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put it to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. See, what Paul just tells us here is that we have this obligation to live by the flesh. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like those words. I don't like any, how many of you love it when someone tells you, you are obliged to do this, right? But Paul uses these very strong words, right? He doesn't say, you know, you might not want to live by the flesh. You might consider living by the spirit over here. This is just shy of, I forbid you to live by the flesh, right? He says, you are obligated to live by the spirit. Why, why would we ever be obligated? See, because here's the thing, if Jesus has set us free, to live at a higher level than just being slave to the questions, how do I survive and how do I maximize pleasure, then it would make sense that we are obligated to live in that freedom. That if it was bought for us and given to us, it would make sense that we would say, no, I am not just an animal, slave to my desires, but I am actually an image bearer of God himself. And that my spirit is alive and brought into this because the spirit was bought for you on the cross at a high price. So we might actually be obligated to use it. See, this would be the equivalent of you needing to get to work every day and all you had was a bicycle. And every day you get on your little rusty bicycle and you drive your couple miles to work and you're hot and you're sweaty and you're nasty and all of those things. And then one day someone looks at you and says, you know what? It's not okay that you're driving a bike to school or to work every day. That's not going to work anymore. Let me buy you a car. And let me not just buy you a car. Let me buy you a brand new Tesla. And let me not just buy you a brand new Tesla. Let me pay for the insurance for the next 10 years. And let me also make sure you have all the electricity needed to fuel that thing for the next 10 years. Now, yeah, let it rain. Someone's like, amen. All right. 
We're not that type of church, don't worry. Um, You might say to yourself, I'm obligated to now use the car. That it would be silly of you to be like, I got the Tesla, but what I really am going to do is ride my bike to school, to work every day. You, you would probably look at they know I'm actually obligated to use the car. I, it has been bought for me. It has been taken care of. It would be silly to go back over here. And this is what Jesus does for us. He, he, he's not attempting to control us. He's not saying like, you live by the flesh. He's saying, why would you ever want to go back to your fleshly nature? of just being driven by these base desires inside of you when you actually now have the ability to choose how you live outside of the confines of how do I stay safe and how do I maximize pleasure. So here's how this all connects to sex for us. See, intimacy is a spiritual need that every single one of us have. Our spirit is attempting to constantly fulfill this deep longing into us. And spiritual longings are best met with spiritual solutions. Sex is an interesting act because it spans both the physical and the spiritual. It's actually one of the few things that interacts with both all at the same time. It's a physical act that involves spiritual realities inside of us But here's what happens is that we've assumed that it is just a physical act, that it is divorced from any spirituality that might be connected to it. Paul later on in 1 Corinthians says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 16, he says, there's more to sex than just skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, We must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more alone than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, though those bodies were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred space? the place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can live however you please, squandering what God paid at such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual, uh, the the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. See, The act of sex is actually designed to connect two spirits together for a lifetime. This is what spiritually happens in our soul, that when we engage in that act, that our souls were now designed to be tied together forever. And this shows up all over and over and over again. When I counsel people who end up in a breakdown, specifically when they're not married and they break up with one another, I can almost instantly tell, have they been sleeping together or not? Because there is a pulling of the soul that happens. There's like a, oh man, this isn't just a, I'm sad because we're disconnected from one another. It's I've connected my soul to this human being and now I'm attempting to detangle that. We call these soul ties in the scriptures that, that we are connected to one another in that. And because of this, Paul gives us this very specific context in which sex was designed for. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But here's the thing. Our culture has assumed that sex is just a physical act. That if it was to be in categories, it has really nothing to do over here and has everything to do with just our physical act. And what it, re- as it does is it reinforces that we are just animals. 
that we are just flesh, that, that we are just animals in nature. I have an urge, I have a tingle, things get hot and heavy, I need to do something about it. That's usually how the thing goes in it. And there is no need in there for a commitment to this other human being that I am connected with. There is no need for intimacy or togetherness or longing for that person that I've just tied my soul to over here. And so we separate the physical act from the spiritual reality when the reality is is that they are actually inseparable from one another, that they are tied to one another for a purpose. And then we wonder in this act of attempting to separate them why our culture is so confused when it comes to sex and sexuality. Why there's so much division and confusion and cloudiness and fog around it. But herein lies the problem. Our souls were made for intimacy. Our souls are longing for intimacy. And we've assumed that we could meet this spiritual longing with sex, an act that we have divorced any spirituality from and made it just a physical act. So this is so much so that in our culture when we say, oh, they're intimate, it doesn't mean that they have this powerful, vulnerable relationship with one another. It means they are doing this fleshly act. That sex and intimacy have become one with one another when sometimes they're actually miles apart from each other. And then we wonder why in a culture where we have the ability to be more connected than ever, loneliness is at an all-time high. Why people feel more disconnected from one another why we are more isolated, more divided, more anxious, more depressed, more despairing, when we actually have everything we need to be more connected and more intimate and more known than ever before in our existence. We see this in other areas of the body, not just with sex, because here's the thing. When your body is craving proper nutrition, when there's like a deficiency within you, you get hungry, It's designed to do that. Hunger is actually your body saying, you are lacking the nutrition that you need to keep going. Now, here's what we often do when we get hungry is we're just like, what is the thing that's gonna make me feel the best right now? So we go grab a donut, right? (laughs) And we scarf down the donut in the middle. Now, here's the thing. The donut gives us this immediate rush of dopamine, doesn't it? Especially like a good one. Hot out of the oven, Krispy Kreme, whatever it is, you know. And so it gives us this immediate dopamine rush. I mean, the ghrelin in your body is immediately released and you're like, oh, I feel so good right now. Meanwhile, your body is actually going, "Uh, no, 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 that actually didn't do anything for me. I need nutrition. (laughs) Like I need some vitamins, some minerals, some protein, some carbs, some fats over here. And so then we find ourselves quickly hungry again. And rather than feed the proper nutrition, we grab another donut, except this time, One donut doesn't work, so we grab two and a chocolate milk, right? And so now we're feeding ourselves that, and it becomes this enslavement to attempting to satisfy this physical need inside of us, and we keep wondering, why am I so tired? Why is my body falling apart? Why do I have all this inflammation? Why do I have joint pain? Why am I overweight? I don't understand. It's because we're attempting to satisfy this deep, need within us with something that will never actually fulfill the deep need within us, and we become enslaved to the flesh rather than satisfying what's actually happening at our core. And 
while our body is decaying because it doesn't get with what it needs, our flesh is continually being seduced over here into something that keeps us alive and maximizes pleasure for us. So this isn't just a sex conversation. This is actually an attitude of heart issue. Am I willing to ask the question, what is it that my soul is actually longing for? What am I seeking out? And I'm just going to say this fully. I believe that what we don't have today in our culture is a sex problem. We have an intimacy problem. And that the confusion around sex is a symptom to a deeper issue that doesn't get addressed. See, just like the donut, so many of us are attempting to solve the spiritual need for intimacy with the physical solution of sex divorced from its spiritual context. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, true intimacy feels scary. True intimacy, having someone know you, all of you, the full you, all of the brokenness and the darkness and the beauty, we would just rather divert from all of that and take the donut way out. And at least it feels good for a moment, but it leaves us longing. So we choose a counterfeit option that feels intimate, but it will always leave us empty and continually needing more. So when I find myself in that context, just like with the donut example, I find myself using people to get my fix rather than serving people to get and create intimacy. And there's a different attitude that fuels both of them. See, on a small scale, when we find ourselves in that space, it looks like, you know, just casual sex outside of its designed context or cheating on a spouse to get sexuality and needs met or open marriages or normalizing sex work. I know that's a a controversial topic these days, but no young woman that I've ever met has ever said in their younger days, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be something that men use for their pleasure. And I know there's all kinds of socioeconomics and needs that are involved in that that we must address. And yet, this is where we find ourselves here. And in our culture today, what it oftentimes looks like is porn addiction. And the stats around that are staggering. And, and actually, it's, it's amazing how non-religious organizations for the first time are actually catching up to the damaging addiction that our culture has right now. And some of the stats just for 2023 are actually staggering around this. Every second, 28,258 people are using porn on the internet. Every second, $3,075.64 is being spent on a porn site. Every second in America. 88% of porn scenes contain acts of physical aggression towards women. And 49% contain verbal aggression and abuse. See, what happens is, is that just... The normal porn is not enough, so I have to keep ratcheting it up to feed my, feed my needs over here. And people start getting hurt and used. 79% of porn performers now have to be high during shoots. And right now on Google, one in five mobile searches are for pornography. And Google itself has said that if the porn industry was to close down tomorrow, the internet would almost crash because it wouldn't have enough users. See, I'm just going to ask you to consider that our culture is actually ravenous for sex right now because what's happening is that we are starved for intimacy and that we're trying so desperately to have this need met. See, on a larger scale, it looks like 
human trafficking. Like I can buy and sell a human being for what I need. Now, here's the thing. We may ask ourselves or think to ourselves, I would never engage in that. That's horrible. I would never, I would even be a freedom fighter against that. But here's the thing. The same attitude of heart that permits someone to use a date to satisfy an urge or to casually have sex with someone or to turn on a computer screen and say, I'm gonna use this person even though they may be even being abused in this situation to fulfill a physical need is the exact same attitude that says it's okay to buy and sell a human being. See, it's actually not about the act, it's about the attitude that's fueling it. I guarantee you no one wakes up in the morning saying, I want to buy or sell a human being. And yet it is an attitude that keeps being addressed and engaged and grown and fed that eventually leads to some of the most horrific places in our culture. See, when we go searching for intimacy through sex, not only are we left lonely and unknown, but we end up devaluing and using others, the very thing that our soul needs Now, I just want to say this in in this moment. I say none of this to shame anyone. So if you're feeling shame right now or embarrassment, I just want to let you know that that is clearly not from God and not my intention in this. Please remove any scarlet letter that you have taken on or that anyone has put on you for any of this. I want you to know that no matter what you've done or what you're going to do after this, God loves you, period, full stop, in this conversation. See, my longing in this conversation is to wake us up to the reality that our culture is in a intimacy catastrophe right now. And what the world is doing around us, and even us, we are drowning ourselves with sex, attempting to solve this spiritual issue, and it's only ramping up. And then we're confused again as to why we are more anxious, why we are more depressed, why we are more isolated, why we're more only, why we're more confused, divided, tribal, offended than ever. And the church has attempted to solve this by shouting at the spiraling sex conversation when it's just the symptom of a deeper issue. See, what the world needs is not people who are shouting at the sex problem. What the world needs is people who are passionately pursuing and found in the middle of authentic affection, connection, closeness, intimacy, developing spiritual family around them and saying, look, I will be a servant for intimacy and connection in the world. That is my purpose here, is to create this here and now. And your soul will never be able to fully find that with others until you found it with God. That God himself is saying, I would long to fulfill this intimacy with need with you so that you can go out and fulfill this intimacy need with one another. I think David in the Psalms, he, he exemplifies this so beautifully. I love Psalm 63 where it says, you, just notice that his intimacy with God. He says, you, God, are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. 
With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. And all who swear by God will glorify him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. See, what I love about David is that he understood that if his soul could be fulfilled with God and the intimacy that he found there, that he could understand how to have proper intimacy with others around him. And look, David was far from perfect when it came to his sexuality. We, we did that in a series before. We won't need to rehash it. And yet he was still known as a man after God's own heart because even when he found himself stumbling and confused and blowing it, he still went back to, I need my source of intimacy to fulfill this deep spiritual longing. See, over the next couple weeks, I am actually not interested in just modifying your spiritual behavior. If you walked away from here and you're like, I gotta stop doing that, that's not what this talk is about. See, I am actually interested in you falling in love with the God who has designed you for intimacy and for, who longs for you to know him and following him vulnerably and creating intimacy everywhere you go with others. I long for purity in our hearts and our spirits that would echo out into our bodies. See, because if it doesn't start there first, everything else is just a performance. Everything else is just us attempting to connect to God through our behavior rather than engaging him from our hearts and our attitudes and our core. See, because when our hearts are full, we will not need to go searching anywhere else for the love that we've been given. And we are then freed up to take on our spiritual role and position as an image bearer of God who then goes out and creates spiritual family and intimacy everywhere we go. This is the invitation around sexuality that God invites us into. How can we actually fulfill a need for intimacy in a way that will bring life and wholeness and goodness to the world around us rather than us just serving our animalistic nature? Because you were not made to be enslaved to your desires. You were made to be alive. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you have allowed us to understand fully what it means to be human. And that looks like having this deep need for intimacy fulfilled. God, I thank you that you are the God who longs to fulfill that intimacy need with us. And this morning, if you're here and you've not yet connected to Jesus or you've not yet found that connection with him, this is a moment for you to just step into a relationship with him. Because if you're here struggling with intimacy in any context, I guarantee you that you won't find it until you find him. And so if that's you this morning and you're like, I, I would love to connect to Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time, I just want you to pray this prayer, either online or in person. You can just pray, pray dear Jesus, I know that I am in need and that my sin and my brokenness has overtaken me. So I confess that you are Lord. I make you Lord. I know that you died and came to life for me. 
So I give you everything. Would you come and fill me with your love that I might be known by you? And for some of you in this room, I know that there's a spirit of shame and there's a spirit of heaviness around this conversation because of things you've done, haven't done. I know for some of you in the room, you may feel like you are addicted to this conversation around sexuality. There, there may be some despair around porn use or using people for sex or sexual addiction. And I just want you to know today that first, God so loves you beyond your wildest imagination and that he does not hold that against you. And his longing is that you would find freedom in your connection with him and with other people. That any shame that you have taken on is not from him. And that he longs to set you free. So I just wanna pray for those of you in the room who have that shame, that this feels heavy, it feels overwhelming, it feels confusing. Jesus, would you come and would you give grace to those of us in this room that struggle with this conversation around sexuality and what it means to find intimacy. God, for those who have pasts that would make anyone blush, <laughs> I ask that you would remove the scarlet letters that they've taken on or that, they've, that have been placed on them, God. I ask that there would be a freedom today to be in conversation with people, to have a new look at this conversation, God, that they might find intimacy in you. And in that, they might be fully fulfilled. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.